Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. You probably already know this, uh, but the world feels a little different than it was, say, two years ago. Let alone 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 80 years ago, 200 years ago, the world has changed. And the church's place in the world, and in specifically our society, has changed uh, in the last two years, but certainly in the last 30, 50, 70 years. 70 years ago, it's post-World War II, and church attendance is at its highest per capita that it has ever been in our country's history. In coping with the trauma of the war, both from having been here and overseas, have, have turned to faith. And for the first time in history, really for the first time in the history of our country, the church becomes a cultural and political power player. We have the numbers and the organizational abilities to be able to influence culture and politics, and we begin to lean into that. Fast forward 70 years to 2022, And we find ourselves as the American church in the minority, particularly in the Pacific Northwest. There are far more people who uh, don't have the Christian faith than than who do. The the number of people who regularly attend a church online or in person is significantly smaller than the number of people who don't. But we're Americans. We know how to be underdogs. We know how to do this. We understand that we get defensive and we fight back and we make sure that we do whatever we have to do to protect our families and our way of life and whatever power that we might have. And we find really creative ways to make sure we win the argument. And because we're Christians, we do that so that we can communicate to people how much we love them. And if they would just listen to our really persuasive arguments, they would learn how loved they actually are. What if, what if the way that Jesus loves is significantly different than the way that we have been taught to love? What if the way Jesus loves is radically different than the way that we have been taught to love? The early church, the early Jesus movement was not actually known, they weren't known as Christians, A Christian means, as we talked about a number of weeks ago, means to belong to the house of Christ, the house of Jesus. And that's, as we've talked about the last couple weeks, that's a pretty good definition for who we are. We belong to the household of Jesus. We belong to each other and to our Christ. But early followers of Jesus, after his death and resurrection, were known as people of the way, that it was this sect of Judaism that followed this messianic character who claimed that he was going to die and rise from the dead. And then these people had the audacity to say he had actually done it, that he had died. And somehow through that death, they were forgiven of their sins and he had resurrected from the dead so that they could have eternal life. They were people of the way. They walked in the ways 
of Jesus. They were witnesses to who Jesus was or is, depending on your perspective. We who follow Jesus today, we are also called to walk in his ways, to bear witness to him. And to bear witness is just to, through words and actions, tell the story of what we've experienced, to tell the story of the truth and grace and love of Jesus. We are to bear witness, to walk in his ways, to live and love as Jesus lived and loves. A leader of the early church, a leader of the way named Paul, wrote a letter to the church in Rome, one of those early gatherings of people following the way of Jesus. And he wanted to help this collection of Jesus' followers learn how to follow Jesus, learn how to walk in his ways in their context. And, and this church is struggling with division on the inside as they fight over what rules to follow. And they're struggling with pressure and uh, attack from the outside, from the culture around them through rumors and violence and discrimination. And so Paul writes to them and he says, hey, you need to make sure that you're being transformed by God and not by the culture. You need to make sure that as things are changing and you're developing in your life, that you're being molded by God and not by the culture around you. And then he says, I, I need you to look at each other and I need you to really love each other. Don't just pretend to love each other. Don't just play nice, but like you need to really love each other. And then after that, he addresses the attacks of culture on them. And here's how he says to respond in verse 14 of Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Bless those who persecute you. I want to define a couple of terms today. And the first one I want to define is persecution. We talked last week about how this word really means to that in the same way that we're called to pursue people in a good way, to love and care for and serve and make them feel welcomed, there are also people who will pursue, Paul says, and the, the Romans are definitely experiencing this, who pursue against you in a negative way, and, and that, that's persecution. And so in, in the broadest sense, in the broadest sense, we could define persecution this way. The persecution is people coming against you, okay? Just in the broadest sense, we can define that, that persecution is people pursuing your harm. It's people coming against you. But let's not insult or demean our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who we would say are part of a persecuted church. <laughs> there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are meeting in secret at midnight so that they are not discovered because they don't know 
that they would live through the experience of being discovered. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are sending emails in code with little stars in the word so they don't spell anything that might catch their government's filter because they know if it did, that they and likely anybody they love would be punished brutally for it. There are Jesus followers around the world who are risking their lives to be able to broadcast the message of Jesus into the homes of other people. While I stand here with a camera in front of me and have no fear of the repercussions of that. There are people around the world who when they say yes to Jesus, their family says no to them. And not just like, hey, please don't come to Thanksgiving, but like, hey, if we see you again, we're gonna kill you. So we could also define persecution, well, we need to define persecution a little more strongly. That when we talk about the persecuted church, so here's my shot at that. (laughs) And I don't know that this is complete, but hopefully this will get us started. That persecution is being treated as worthless and disposable because of Jesus. Now, any other group of people that's being persecuted against it, that there would be another reason for that. But when we're talking about the persecuted church, we're talking about the Romans who are being persecuted against. It's being treated as worthless and disposable, as something less than human because of their faith in Jesus. Now, some of us feel like our American government is treating us as something worthless and disposable, as something less than human. And if that's your perspective, then you are justifiably angry and protective. So I wanna say two things about that. One, however accurate that perception is, if you are 100% correct on that, we are nowhere near to experiencing what the persecuted churches around the world is experiencing. So let's be really careful with the pity party. Two, whichever definition of persecution we use, wherever we find ourselves as the American church in Kelso, Washington today, on this spectrum of just people coming against us, because look, we, we know For sure, we should all be able to agree that there are people for whom that is true. Maybe you experience it in your own personal life, in in, in work, in your family, maybe even there are people coming against you because of your faith. We know that it's the minority in our culture now that there are people who are trying to put the church on trial in the court of public opinion or even public policy. We know that's happening. Wherever we are on this spectrum, from people coming against us to being treated as worthless and disposable like animals. Something less than human. Wherever we are on that spectrum, our biblical response is exactly the same. We are commanded to bless. We are commanded to bless. There is no eight steps on how to fight back in Paul's words here. There's no plan of attack, just a command 
to bless. And not just bless them in whatever strength or ability you have to bless them, but like pray for God's blessings. The God who can bless with all of heaven and eternity, pray for his blessings on those who persecute you. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way that we are to walk in. And a pastor I know said to me last week, and um, it rings so true to me, that the way of Jesus is to suffer well and bless. The way of Jesus, the way Jesus went through his life, and we're gonna look at it in just a second, the ways we are called to walk in is to suffer well and bless. If we're gonna follow Jesus, this is the way that Jesus lived. I mean, this is his ultimate gift to us. He suffered on our behalf. He came and took the suffering of our sin, the pain and consequences we deserved so that his suffering would be turned into blessing for us. This is what we are witnesses to. To say that God loves you and me and everybody else so much that he was willing to suffer in order to bless. And here's what I'm talking about. This, these words were prophesied of the coming Messiah centuries before Jesus walked the earth. This is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, starting in verse three. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And so Jesus came and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And yet he chose to submit himself to being publicly humiliated and beaten and hung on a cross so that his suffering could be our blessing so that we could be forgiven. He was so committed to blessing in his suffering, in fact, that he blessed others while he was hanging, humiliated and hurting with actual nails through his body. Luke tells us the story in Luke chapter 23 of Jesus on the cross. He writes, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He asked for God's blessings on them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. 
One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You want to be a witness for Jesus in this world? Suffer well and bless. Which leads to the question, what does it mean to suffer well? I think we could go around and all come up with some idea of what it means to suffer well. Some things I thought of for me this week. To suffer well means to point people to Jesus and not to your own suffering. It means to not make it about you. It means keeping our focus on finding opportunities to bless no matter our suffering. It means to endure hard things. Maybe things we don't want to do in order to love others. It means empathizing through suffering, recognizing that suffering is a way of empathizing both with Jesus and his suffering and with the suffering of others. And that's actually the second word I want to take a second to define today, the word empathy. And I want to define this because I've been hearing a lot in the last 12 to 18 months about the, quote, sin of empathy. Now, maybe this is only things I'm hearing in church leader circles, and so if this is news to you, uh, feel free to take a two-minute nap. The sin of empathy, and, and here's the, the analogy that, that I have heard used. They said, look, all this empathy stuff about getting down in with people in their pain and their hurt doesn't make any sense because it's like they're being swept along by this river, this fast moving stream, and you need to get them out of there. We don't wanna see them stuck in their pain and their misery. But if, if you wanna rescue somebody from that situation, you don't just dive in and join them in the rushing water. You make sure that you have a foot firmly planted on the shore or you somehow are braced in the boat so that you can pull and pull them out of that without getting sucked in yourself. And besides, Maybe there's some consequences they need to face for their actions anyway. We wouldn't want to get into those consequences with them. That theory works really well, I think, for rescuing people from a rushing river. The problem with using that definition of empathy is that for those of us who follow Jesus, we follow a savior who looked down from heaven 
into the rushing stream of sin and the consequences it brought us that we'd created for ourselves. And he literally stepped into that mess. He literally put on our skin and stepped into the sin and the consequences and the pain and the hurt of this world. And he said, I will take it for you. I will stand here and I will stem the tide and I will obliterate the eternal consequences of this river of sin you find yourself in. Our Savior actually stepped in to rescue. That's the love of Jesus in action. In fact, the next words of Paul here as he teaches the Roman church to love for real and not just to pretend, are a really good definition or at least a really good starting place for a definition of empathy. Verse 15 of Romans 12. He writes, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. So with this verse in mind, let's try what is perhaps an incomplete definition of empathy, but I think it'll work for us this morning. Empathy is to feel the joy and sadness and fear and hope of others. Empathy is to feel the joy, sadness, fear, and hope of others. And this is the way that we love people for real. We feel their very real emotions with them, especially their sadness and anger and pain. Because if we're just feeling other people's happiness with them, that doesn't require a lot of sacrificial love on our part. <laughs> to really love somebody, we feel these things with them. Now, I think that brings up a really legitimate question. What if they are feeling sad or angry about the wrong thing? Like, what if they're sad about something that they just really just need to get over? What if they're angry about something that just isn't that big a deal? Okay, I worked with teenagers for a long time. No offense to teenagers, but teenagers think life is over when their crush of the last two weeks breaks up with them. And they're writing things like, dear diary, I don't think I'll ever love again. And they're crying themselves to sleep. And we go, you're being ridiculous. However, it does not help to look at them and go, you're being ridiculous, especially at first. I'm sure there's a point where you reach and you go, okay, look, uh, this has been two years of tears every day over two weeks of Chad. And we're just, we're done, okay? Chad went bye-bye, moving on. But... I don't know why, sorry to any Chads. I don't, I don't know why that was Chad. Heart, heartbreaker, that guy. It does not help. And I, I know it doesn't help because I have watched youth leaders and parents try this. It does not help to look at the teenager and go, get over it. It's just Chad. Move on. To love them in that situation. We give them a hug. We tell them they're gonna be okay. And we remember that we have cried and been sad and been heartbroken over really dumb things too. <laughs> when the people around us are sad 
or angry about something that we think is just preposterous, just ridiculous. The loving thing to do, loving thing to say is, wow, that sounds like it hurts. Or, whoo, that sounds really heavy. Can you help me understand what's going on? Can you help me understand why that hurts? Or even, boy, if I was hurting like that, I'd want to lash out too. Yeah, that makes sense. If I saw things that way, if I was feeling that way, man, yeah, I'd be angry. I'd want to lash out too. It doesn't mean we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we have to say, yeah, you're right, you should lash out. It just means that to really love, we really feel with them. And here's why. Paul continues in the very next verse, verse 16. He writes, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. We don't actually know any better than anybody else what should hurt. We are not above feeling pain or sadness or anger over petty little things. (laughs) We love by seeking to be in step with others by taking a moment to see things from their perspective, by finding places of agreement with them. We don't have to agree with all of it. Can we find something that we'd agree on? Even if it's, yeah, if I was looking at the world that way, I would feel similarly. To get in step, to see from their perspective, to find some place of agreement, because that is what living in harmony is. However, when we're more focused on winning the argument than loving like Jesus does, we don't want to live in harmony with them. That's the last thing we want to do. We certainly do not want to sing, sit, sit around and hold hands and sing kumbaya and whatever we think of when we think of harmony. It doesn't have to look like that, I promise. We want them, if, we want them to lose, <laughs> They've, they've hurt us. They've hurt the people we love. They've made us angry. And we want them to lose. We don't want them to feel okay. They're wrong. They did a wrong to us. I live in harmony with that. Payback, maybe. Not harmony. So Paul continues. Verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Uh, Have you ever uh, treated somebody like a jerk? Either you were a a jerk to them or you just assumed they were a jerk and you treated them as such. 
and then they do something really nice for you? No, just me? Okay, so let me tell you how that feels. Uh, there is a feeling that can best be described as ashamed when you go, oh, I assumed that you were awful and you have just done this much greater kindness to me than I have done to you. That's that feeling. That's what this verse, verse 20 is about. Paul continues his thoughts and concludes his thoughts. He writes, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So now we return to suffering well, because this is the way of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that suffering well means payback, pain, and punishment are never the goal. Suffering well means payback, pain, and punishment are never the goal. Now, that doesn't mean punishment is never appropriate. I punish my kids when they do something wrong. But if I'm doing well as a parent, punishment is not the goal. The goal is to adjust their attitude or their behavior or their future or whatever it is that they have that needs some, uh, some adjusting. My goal is to help them learn to correct their behavior and get it right next time, not to punish them. When we make payback and pain and punishment the goal, we're telling God, hey, don't worry about it, I got it. Like, I know you're the God of justice and that you have said everything will be made right. I know you said you'll take care of this, but don't worry about it, I got it. When we make payback, pain, and punishment the goal, we're saying, hey, God, go take a nap. I'll sit on the throne. I'll get this figured out. I know exactly what needs to happen. We're telling God that we can do this justice thing better than he can. When somebody makes us suffer, we want to make them suffer. This is what every Hollywood revenge story is built on and we love it. But Paul says the way of Jesus is to not take revenge. Uh, incidentally, Jesus also says that his way is to not take revenge. Remember that whole thing about uh, if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn the other one. There are no qualifiers here. There's no, don't take revenge unless they've really hurt you. Or don't take revenge unless you just can't control yourself. Paul and Jesus simply say, don't. It is not walking in the way of Jesus. And uh, I'm not saying I like it. I would rather be angry and vengeful some days. Way more days than I would like to admit. <laughs> but we all know somebody who is angry and vengeful and they're miserable. And Jesus says, I have a better way for you than that. Come and walk in my ways. Come and walk in my ways. I think the reason perhaps we really don't like it is because it just doesn't feel fair. We want fairness and justice. We want things to be made right. 
We want the bad guys to pay. And so we need to do whatever we need to do to defeat evil. And the ends will justify the means as long as evil is defeated. Because, and catch this because I think it's really important. We think that if we are suffering, evil is winning. We assume that if we're suffering, that something is not going right in our lives and when things are going badly, not going the way that we want, we assume that this is wrong and payback is in order, that we need payback or revenge for our suffering, that something needs to be made right because if we're suffering, evil is winning. But Jesus and every early authority on the way that we have quoted in scripture says that suffering is not to be avoided. That suffering is something we should rejoice in. Does not say we have to want it. Doesn't say we have to enjoy it. But that we accept it. And then we even choose to rejoice in it. Because it is through suffering that Jesus has come to save us. It is through suffering that God is redeeming our character. It is through suffering that Jesus has shown us the way. Here's the truth. Evil doesn't win when we suffer. Evil wins when we turn away from the way of Jesus. Evil doesn't win when we suffer. Evil wins when it causes us to turn away from the way of Jesus. Evil wins when we become evil. Evil wins when we decide that we're going to play evil's game. Evil wins when we turn away from the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to suffer well and bless. To not seek destruction for our enemies, but to actually seek and pray for blessings for them with whatever is in my power to bless them. The way of Jesus is to bear witness to Jesus's suffering and love by how we suffer and love. To follow the way of Jesus is to believe that evil is conquered only by following the way of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who ever truly overcame evil and sin and death. And Jesus overcame evil, defeated death, and threw away the eternal consequences of sin by choosing to suffer, to suffer well and bless. And to walk in the way of Jesus to be a Jesus follower, to be a Christian, to be a part of the way of Jesus, is to believe that the only way evil is defeated is by walking in the way of Jesus. So as we seek to do that this week, and as the worship team comes up to lead us in a response, let me pray for us. Father God, I really want to pray that you would make us feel better and you would fix the problems. 
And God, I do pray that you give us your peace. I pray that you give us courage and strength. I pray that through the hard things that we go through, you would grow our character, grow our courage, grow our endurance, grow our confidence in you. Jesus, I am so grateful that you are with us. That your presence is before and beside and behind us. That we do not suffer alone. And that you have set the example for us. That we are walking in your ways. That we are following in your path that you have laid out for us. That you have taught us how this goes. That you have shown us what it means to suffer well and bless. Spirit, would you give us the courage and the strength to follow in those ways, to be a people of the way of Jesus. We ask in Jesus' holy, holy name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.